I think we have some misconception that having a baby is not a full-time job. And I just want to be super clear. That is absolutely a full-time job. So if you're not going to do that job, which is fine, you just need to know that someone else is going to have to do that job. I think we set ourselves up for failure because for some reason we've just come to look at parenting or primary caregiving as that thing you can do on the side. And just like, that's just not what I found to be true at all. I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than 9 to 5. All right, let's get into it. Hey, everyone. It's Danielle. Today, our guest is Ashley Merrill. Ashley is the founder and chairwoman of the restwear brand Lunia. Love Lunia. Ashley started Lunia back in 2012 when she was pregnant, and now it's one of the most popular brands in its category and softest and a lot of great things that we'll get into. (laughs) Thank you for that. In addition to her 10 years as an entrepreneur at Lunia, Ashley is also a principal at the impact investment firm, NACO3, and the co-founder of the media platform, The Deep, which is focused on philosophical questioning. Ashley, welcome to 9 to 5-ish. Thank you for having me. So we'd like to do a warm up here, a little pregame. We're going to start off with a lightning round, quick questions, quick answers. You ready? Great. What's the first job you got paid for? taking care of the animals in the neighborhood. And I'll say after that would be working as a hostess in a restaurant. What were the animals in the neighborhood? Like what types? Horses, cats, anything anyone would pay me to take care of, I would. I lived in a neglectic, rustic neighborhood where everybody had a lot of pets. I love that. What is your go-to midnight snack? I like that one. I haven't used that one before. Popcorn. I mean, I love, I'm like weird about popcorn. I mean, ice cream would be the other one, but I would say like that's more of a special treat where popcorn's a go-to for me. One person you would want to have at a dinner party, living or dead? I'm kind of into Yuval Harari, the author of Sapiens and Homo Sapiens. (laughs) I I feel like I'm just obsessed. I've got my kids reading these books, which is really far beyond where they are. (laughs) Like the way he brings everything together, geography, sociology, history, it blows my mind and it makes the universe make sense in a weird way. So I'm always interested in his opinion on everything. Okay. This is why you run something called The Deep because <laughs> I I tried during, you know, peak COVID, my family and I road trip from New York to Chicago and we were like, what's an audio book we should put on? And we put on Sapiens yeah. and we had to turn it off because we were falling asleep. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess something to you about Sapiens. It took me almost a year to get through it and almost a year to get through Homo sapiens. I feel you. I could really only read a few pages at once and then I had to like turn my brain off and and digest. What keeps you up at night? I'd say right now I'm, and I hate to say this because I I don't want to be part of like fear mongering around AI, but I am very concerned for my children and what is that future world that they're walking into. From a business perspective and then from a parent, what makes you the most anxious about it? 
I mean, from a business perspective, it will change everything. It'll change how we do it, what we do. It'll change how people interact with products and how they use the internet. I think actually in a weird way, these can be connected in a funny, for a funny example, my children don't use the internet the way I do. They talk to it. They use Siri. My daughter almost thinks that Siri is like a little friend of hers that does whatever she wants. She's eight. And now they're hooked into ChatGPT and they ask it everything as if it's the Oracle. The idea of going to Google to search for something has never occurred to them. So if you think about how that affects business, where our businesses are predicated on this idea of search advertising, of which ChatGPT has none, which Siri has none, it is very interesting to think how disruptive that's going to be. How will you discover new products? We're at what feels like a, a precipice of a very big change. And anytime change has happened historically for humanity, it's, it can be scary and disruptive. And, and so when you ask specifically how it affects business, I don't know how to plan for that either. You know, it's just like planning for the great unknown. So I think a lot of what you're doing is trying to get lean and nimble and profitable so that you can withstand and adapt to a changing world. And I would say that that translates very much into how I think about preparing my kids. You know, my focus is less on can I get them into Harvard and more on how adaptable are their minds? How flexible are they? So switching gears on our last lightning round, which we have gone off of, but I think anything in the future. Yeah. And sorry, I'm not being, these are not short. The future of AI question I asked did not set you up for lightning round success. So that one's on me. (laughs) And a totally different note. What was the last TV show you binge watch? The Great. Have you watched that show? I watched a few episodes and I liked it, but I, I did never finish it. Didn't get super into it. It hooked me. I thought it was super interesting. Again, it's intertwining history yeah. with a little, but, but playful. Okay. So let's talk about Lunia. You had the idea for Lunia or, or a Lunia-esque thought before you decided to commit to it. What made you jump in? You know, I had the thought that there was a gap and an opportunity in this space for quite a while before I did anything with it. The narrative I kept repeating to myself was, why you? You don't know anything about clothing. Why would you be able to do that? It was sort of a negative narrative, but also a realistic one. What was I thinking I was going to do in this area that I didn't know anything about? And at a certain point, and and actually this coincided with when I got pregnant, I said, well, why not you? (laughs) You know, I kind of switched the question. And I think I I realized in that moment that it would be better. And I think the kids actually helped me, which is ironic because I was pretty sure that that was going to ruin all of my entrepreneurial dreams. But they helped me realize it would be worse to say to my kids, I never tried, then I failed. Because I think a lot of my life now is about what I'm modeling. You know, they listen to what you say, but they really do what you do. And so I realized... If I wanted to tell them to go for their dreams and to take risks and not to be afraid, well, am I modeling that? You know, and that that became very powerful for me. So I heard that you decided to actually launch Lunia, the website, to the public when you were in the hospital about to give birth. <laughs> true, or, true or false? I'll say true, but I just want you to know it wasn't a premeditated plan. It sort of happened on accident and then we went with it, which, you know, a lot of business is that. So do you think about that as, because I, I love how you, how you framed it as a mom myself about what you model. And also I could see it too as, I mean, I had started my company before having kids, but there was a fear of like, am I still going to take risks? Was this your first kid or your second? 
Actually, it was launched officially, like publicly launched when I was giving birth to my second child, but I had already kind of been incubating it before. Got it. How did it go in those early months of like actually having a baby and also having a business baby at the exact same time? Yeah. I'm alive, but barely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was hard. It's continued to be hard. Sometimes I talk to entrepreneurs and they'll talk about part of the appeal of having their own business as flexibility. I always go, yeah, in that your business will flexibly fit into every facet of your life. (laughs) You know, it's, it's not an easy path, but I get to be passionate about what I do. And that's a real gift. That's so funny because I just said that to someone who was thinking about starting their businesses this morning where I was like, you know, I have two little kids and I feel like I might work less hours if I wasn't working for myself, but I wouldn't have the same degree of flexibility. At the same time, you never turn off, right? If it's your own business. So right, I love, you know, motherhood in some ways was the actual, I don't know if it was catalyst, but kind of like aligned with these big career decisions. How do you think that about that now? Like you mentioned one of your kids is eight growing up while you grow your business as well. Yeah. I told myself that I would just crush myself until my kids were in elementary school. And then, and part of this was based on conversations I had had with my mother about what her experience was like raising kids. And what she always said to me was, people always stay home with their kids when their kid's a baby And they spent all this time when their kid's a baby. And she felt like it really started to matter when their kid was around five or six. And that that was when it really needed to be her. And I mean, look, I've read lots of conflicting information about this. So I'm going to be super anecdotal about it. And and it is only about my experience here. But I'll tell you, that's what I found to be true. I also think some of it has to fit with your personality. I was not a baby person. I knew that going into this. Some people just thrive on that. They love when their baby just needs them. And I, I just did not. I, I did not at all. I actually was like, my brain is melting. This is not who I want to be. I mean, look, I did it. Some things in life you do because you need to do them. And I did do it, but I got a lot of help. I had like a lot of help. And I think there's zero chance. And I, I like to say this a lot because I think we have some misconception that having a baby is not a full-time job. And I just want to be super clear. That is absolutely a full-time job. So if you're not going to do that job, which is fine, you just need to know that someone else is going to have to do that job. I think we set ourselves up for failure because for some reason, we've come to look at parenting or primary caregiving as sort of a thing you can do on the side. And just like, that's just not what I found to be true at all. I needed a lot of support. So I had a lot of support in those early days. When the kids got older and they started to go to school, I could feel more that I was needed at home. I could feel that kind of pressure of it needing to be me. And the way that would show up is the problems were different. They were coming home saying, I had this issue with my friend. She did this to me. It was character development. And I started to be thinking, okay, well, I had these kids because I'm excited about the process of shaping them. And I needed to adjust my life to make sure I could be present for that process of shaping them. And so things have shifted as I've gotten older and I've become more involved. I actually recently, as of a year ago, hired a CEO for Lunia and it was the right thing, you know, stage-wise for what my family needed and what I had sort of promised myself. But I did 10 years of, of that and then kind of got to the place where it was like, okay, I need to do this now. We're going to get into to that next, but, you know, one thing 
that I think is really refreshing is to hear you talk about the amount of support you needed. And also, I have two little ones, two kids under three. I love my children. I've never been a baby person. Mm-hmm. Like, as soon as they can talk and walk and, like, converse, I'm so obsessed. But I think it's really interesting to hear about you giving yourself permission to look for that support and flex it in different ways at different times. At The Skin, we actually just launched a campaign called Show Us Your Your Childcare. Because I think one of one of the biggest things that is not talked about and feels almost hidden is the amount of support that is needed to do all of these things. And we also know, although it's changed a lot, you know, the primary parent is often the mom. 100%. And that I, you know, it's a push to really make it transparent on how much help and support is needed in raising your kids and I think maintaining sanity. And for a few reasons, one is to make it okay. Two is to show that, you know, if I snap a picture of something, it's not telling the whole story. It's not telling, you know, how much support I have from our fantastic nanny so that I can be at work and home for this moment and then jet out again. So I really appreciate you talking about that. I had a hero of a nanny. She was amazing. And Definitely the MVP. Without her, none of it would have been possible. During COVID, you were running two businesses. I was running one and had no kids at the time and thought I was going to keel over at any moment. So you're running Lunya, the business you founded, and then you were running Outdoor Voices. What was that like? When you look back, are you like, you know, it was just we were living in unprecedented times and I did what I had to do? Or was this like you thought it would be kind of like this fun experiment to stretch yourself to like your limit? It wasn't the plan. I'll put it this way. And it evolved into this circumstance. I ended up, you know, meeting folks at OV and realizing that potentially they needed some things that I was able to offer. And it evolved very quickly into a situation where I ended up running both companies. But that wasn't, again, not premeditative. And it, it wasn't accidental. I definitely got involved to help. I think I just didn't realize how much help that was going to be required. And so it took a while to understand what was going on. And in the process of me doing that, I kind of ended up getting really entangled and feeling like, oh my gosh, this is somewhere I can really make a meaningful impact. And I felt a little bad not doing it in a weird way. And I never anticipated this being a long-term thing. I think the goal was always, can we just turn the ship here and help set them up so they can have a new CEO that can run this business? And it, you know, there's, I hate to say this, but sometimes it's like, who's going to be the bad guy and make a lot of the unpopular changes that are going to need to be made. And I would rather do that because there's change CEOs, good CEOs for making all the bad guy decisions. And then there's CEOs that are, you know, sort of the visionary CEOs that can make the plan for the future. And I think it felt like it was going to be too much change to hire the change person and then hire the vision person. And I felt like maybe I can come in and do a bunch of the unpopular stuff and then hire in that person who can really drive the future. And to be honest, that's exactly what happened. And and we have an incredible CEO who's been running that company for a couple of years now. She's wonderful. But back to your question, I think the other part of me was wanting to validate that I was a capable CEO in my own right. It's one thing to run your own business. That is something you dreamed up and it's sort of in your image, whether you like it or not, that's what's happening. But another to be like, can I come in as just a CEO? Can I come in and be effective? 
And so I think I felt a little bit like I wanted to prove to myself that I was capable of that. And OV at the time was a little bigger than Lumia. I also felt like maybe it'll teach me things that will be useful for me just within my own role to grow and bring that back into the business I'm running. So all of those things were true, but I'll tell you, it like nearly killed me. It was crazy. It was 16 hour days every day, which if you do the math, where do your kids and sleep fit in? Not easily is the answer to that. I could not do that over the long term. It burned me out in an incredible way, but I learned a ton. I feel really proud about the contribution I was able to make to that company. It was good, but it was brutal. Aside from the like hours put in and no sleeping part, what was more difficult? Transitioning out as CEO in a company that you had built or running two companies at the same time? Yeah. Running two companies at the same time during COVID was, you know, if I'm a cat that took a few of my lives, let's put it that way. It just was also a time of a lot of turmoil on a, on a bigger societal level. So remember, it was more than just running a business. It was, you know, we went through BLM, we went through economic uncertainty, we went through a presidential election. There was just trying to hold the businesses up, but there was also the aspect of all of your employees are going through all of the feelings that we all recall going through during that time. And so just trying to support two teams with incredible emotional needs, it was exhausting, like really, really hard. And you wanted to give everyone what they needed. So that was really hard. The transition, both away from OV as CEO and away from Lunia in that I wasn't officially the CEO. I was like the operating executive board member. But that role was hard because I put so much of myself into that at, at Outdoor Voices. I was just, I really didn't want that to be for nothing. Everybody in my family paid for that choice. And I really didn't want to have, you know, to not have anything to show for that. So I was so nervous bringing in the CEO. And then I was so relieved when she was like, what I had hoped and more. And I think in a weird way that prepared me for the transition at Lunia. I think that you never know. And this is something I talk to a lot of founders about when they're looking for succession. You're always looking for a person who's just like you. And, and that's just not going to be the case. They're going to be better at other things than you are and worse at other things. And at the end of the day, you're just going to have to take a chance on somebody, which is what it amounts to. You know as much as you can know about them, and then you just hold hands and do it. How did you decide it was the right time to make such a big change, not only in your business, but your identity to, to some degree? When it came around for Lunia, I just realized that the world, I kept thinking, oh, when we get through COVID, things will settle down. If, if I could just like have it settle for a while. And I think I finally swallowed the pill that, that things never settle down. In a good business, you're always adapting. You're always changing. You're always thinking about the future. And that if I didn't feel like I could always be that person, then I had to do the right thing for the business. I was always very clear early on that this was not going to be just a lifestyle business for me. That was not how I was approaching it. And so when you decide that, oh, I'm building a business for growth, it's an all-in decision. And you sort of, you're making a promise to your employees and to, to everybody that that's what you're doing. And so it was never really about me and my title. There was an aspect of, yes, I wanted to prove myself, but I was well past that. In 10 years in that role, I was like, good to go. You know, actually I would have had a CEO sooner, but COVID hit. And so I, it wasn't the right time to be dealing with a transition while it was like riding a roller coaster. And I think when I met Blair, who's the CEO of, of Lunia, I was nervous about it, but I had been through it with OV. So that gave me confidence. 
And I really leveraged my close network to interview her and to help me make that decision. And so I, I felt good about Blair, but I did, I did lean on my network to help me. And, and it's been good. Speaking of, you know, people who know what the job is, your husband's also yeah. an entrepreneur. Yes. Are you able to leave work like at the door? And I know you guys do very different things. No, we don't leave work at the door. And actually, and sometimes as crazy as it is with us both being entrepreneurs and it's mellower now, like in fairness, I have to say like that was way worse at the beginning, ba- like babies and newer companies was just a tidal wave of crazy. And he and I have both transitioned out of the CEO role. So we're still like, we love it and we're in it, but it is different now. I don't know that we could have stayed married during the part where we were both going through it because I wouldn't have understood, nor would he have understood. When we were going through crazy stuff, you know, it affects everything. It affects your mood, you're tired. Why do you care so much about this thing? It affects your sex life. You're like not you know, why are you not in the mood? Oh, well, sorry. I've got like an employee that just quit yesterday. I think my business might collapse tomorrow and I'm freaking out, but yeah, I'm not really feeling it. You know, it's, and it's like, probably going to be like that next week too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I think to have someone that could truly understand was helpful. It doubled the crazy, but it also helped us understand each other. So it was helpful and we didn't leave it. And we talked a lot about it and we supported each other as best we could at different times. I was happy we weren't in the same industry though, because we talk about everything, but he can't do my job. We're not like competing against each other. Do you know what I mean? Like, which maybe if I was in the same industry, it would feel different. I maybe I'd be less receptive to his feedback because I would feel like he's critiquing me or be personal. It's easier. It's more objective in that way. So you've talked a lot about, and I don't think this is unique, but being a CEO of a growing company, high, high burnout rate. And that doesn't mean you stop. It's just like you operate through it, which I'm not saying that's a good thing, but I, I think a lot of us do it. You're also the founder of a restwear company. And how, how do you think about that in terms of what you want people to feel with the products that you are making and also how you and I, I'm guessing your employees feel in, in the way, just like everyone else, running a, a growing business is tough. How do you think about that and how do you coach people through it? So I've got kind of different angles on this question that I'm, I'm interpreting yeah. this a few different ways. One, I would say, if you picked a trainer, and I'm going to use myself as kind of the starting example, because I do think that kind of culture rolls a bit downhill. If you picked a trainer that you worked out with who was just naturally lean and ripped, you'd be like, yeah, but are you going to know how to get me lean and ripped? Because like, you don't have to work very hard for it. It comes natural for you. So I'll say, I'm not a good sleeper. I have to work very hard for my sleep. So sometimes I joke about this a lot, but if I was a just good sleeper, would you trust my advice on how to get better sleep? You know, so I've been pretty open with my team that I struggle with sleep. And so when I find things that help me, it has a lot of credibility because you understand that I'm not someone who just like conks out at every given moment. My husband can sleep anywhere. It blows my mind. I'm not like this, you know? And so I can both empathize with the fact that life affects sleep and I have been really impacted by it. And I'd say that also, I I don't advise you to like prioritize sleep above all other things. I have loved having success in my business and feeling like I can actualize my goals. So I recognize that sometimes there's trade-offs, you know, but I will say when you're building the prioritization list, and this is how it would relate to how I think about creating a culture and kind of working that out. I also know that I perform way better when I'm rested. And I recognize that that's true for my team too. 
And so how do we do that? It's not crunch time all the time at Lunyet. We know that that's not going to work well. Sometimes it's crunch time, but when it's not crunch time, we also try to create space for people to kind of like do what they need to regenerate that, you know, to, to kind of come back into their own. I, for example, I, I, there was times that I wake up at three in the morning because I can't sleep, but I'll take a nap. And I'll just tell people, I'm going to be out from one to three, but I'll be back. They know that I need to do that for myself so they can come back on. You know, it's 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 never a question of, am I working hard? Am I doing my part? That's always, you know, that was always clear. But I think understanding that I prioritize it. And when I have the time, I kind of do that. That's helpful. I think the team can then understand that they're at a place that like, as long as they're crushing when it needs to be, they're also at a place that like hears them when they need to kind of have the space to recover too. What are some tips you've learned from your team or the Outdoor Voices team on how they prioritize their sense of of wellness working in crazy industries? I weirdly think communication would be a big one. I think communication. And the reason I say that is because I think a lot of it is knowing what you need and being comfortable asking for it. And I've seen that culturally. I actually would say that I've seen that more now than I used to, where people are able to say, again, it's it's pre-planning. I, I, I want to go to a vacation where I can kind of shut off. I'm not going to be checking the emails. So I want to plan two weeks out and they like come up with the whole plan on how they're going to handle their workload with their team. And so I think that a lot of it is just communicating, letting everyone know this is how I plan to handle my off time and I plan to be out of touch. Again, those kind of abilities to say what you need, especially in a remote work environment where I can't see what you need. I can't guess. You know, this is kind of the thing where when I was younger and you'd like try to get your boyfriend to to read your mind. You know, it's, never it's good. a little bit like, yeah, it's never good. Just like the same thing with your employer. And it's worse remotely. I can't see you. I don't know what's going on in your life. That ability to communicate and to say what you need is Great. Because once you tell me what you need or what your plan is or how you're going to solve your problem, we can support you. And so I would say watching people who have skills at communication has been exciting to see. Final question. Who's someone else we should have on the show? I don't know if my husband would do it, but he would be great. (laughs) It'd be fun to get another point of view. You know what? We haven't done men yet, but I think it'd be fun to do like couples who are both entrepreneurs. It could also be interesting to have I'm thinking of diversity. I, I think you can get a lot of people like me to come on and say a lot of the things I said. I have a lot of these founder friends and we share notes and it's <laughs> the same hellhole we're all living in. But I actually also think it'd be interesting to get some CEOs on that are hired for, that work for these founders or maybe CEOs with the founders to talk about that transition and role division and things. Cause I think that's a really hard transition that people go through. Ashley, thank you for introducing me to washable silk and my (laughs) uh, sleep mask that I love. And congratulations on everything and making it through two jobs at the same time. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. And if you want to keep up with us in between episodes, follow us on Instagram at Carly and Danielle. It's a really good account, I promise. <laughs>